section ninety nine of england scotland ireland and wales this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit LibriVox.org. the royal story volume ten england scotland ireland and wales edited by eva march tappan section ninety nine the grand canal hotel by charles lever the following scene from a story by a famous irish novelist gives a vivid picture of the utter wretchedness to which a large proportion of the population of ireland had been reduced by the early nineteenth century the editor little does he know who voyages in a canal boat dragged along some three miles and a half per hour ignominiously at the tails of two ambling hackneys what pride pomp and circumstance await him at the first town he enters seated on the deck watching with a dutchman's apathy the sedgy banks whose tall flaggers bow their heads beneath the ripple that eddies from the bow now lifting his eyes from earth to sky with nothing to interest nothing to attract him turning from the gaze of the long dreary tract of bog and moorland to look upon his fellow-travellers whose features are perhaps neither more striking nor more pleasing the monotonous jog of the postilion before the impassive placidity of the helmsman behind the lazy smoke that seems to lack energy to issue from the little chimney the brown and leaden look of all around have something dreamy and sleep-compelling almost impossible to resist and already as the voyager droops his head and lets fall his eyelids a confused and misty sense of some everlasting journey toilsome tedious and slow creeps over his besotted faculties when suddenly the loud bray of the horn breaks upon his ears the sound is re-echoed from a distance the far-off tinkle of a bell is borne along the water and he sees before him as if conjured up by some magician's wand the roofs and chimneys of a little village meanwhile the excitement about him increases the deck is lumbered with hampers and boxes and parcels the note of departure to many a cloaked and frieze-coated passenger has rung for strange as it may seem in that little assemblage of mud hovels with their dunghills and their duck pools around them with its one slated house and its square chapel yet there are people who live there and stranger still some of those who have left it and seen other places are going back there again to drag on life as before but the plot is thickening the large brass bell at the stern of the boat is thundering away with its clanging sound the banks are crowded with people and as if to favour the melodramatic magic of the scene the track rope is cast off the weary posters trot away towards their stable the stately barge floats on to its destined haven without the aid of any visible influence he who watches the look of proud important bearing that beams upon the captain's face at a moment like this may philosophize upon the charms of that power which man wields above his fellow-men such at least were some of my reflections and i could not help muttering to myself if a man like this feels pride of station what a glorious service must be the navy 
watching with interest the nautical skill with which having fastened a rope to the stern the boat was swung round with her head in the direction from whence she came intimating thereby the monotonous character of her avocations i did not perceive that one by one the passengers were taking their departure good-bye captain cried father tom as he extended his ample hand to me we'll meet again in Locre i'm going on mrs carney's car or i'd be delighted to join you in a conveyance but you'll easily get one at the hotel i had barely time to thank the good father for his kind advice when i perceived him adjusting various duodecimo carneys in the well of the car and then having carefully included himself in the frieze coat that wrapped mrs carney he gave the word to drive on as the day following was the time appointed for naming the horses and the riders i had no reason for haste locre from what i had heard was a commonplace country town in which as in all similar places every newcomer was canvassed with a prying and searching curiosity i resolved therefore to stop where i was not indeed that the scenery possessed any attractions a prospect more bleak more desolate and more barren it would be impossible to conceive a wide river with low and reedy banks moving sluggishly on its yellow current between broad tracts of bog or callow meadowland no trace of cultivation not even a tree was to be seen such is shannon harbour no matter thought i the hotel at least looks well this consolatory reflection of mine was elicited by the prospect of a large stone building of some stories high whose granite portico and wide steps stood in strange contrast to the miserable mud hovels that flanked it on either side it was a strange thought to have placed such a building in such a situation i dismissed the ungrateful notion as i remembered my own position and how happy i felt to accept its hospitality a solitary jaunting car stood on the canal side the poorest specimen of its class i had ever seen the car a few boards cobbled up by some country carpenter seemed to threaten disunion even with the coughing of the wretched beast that wheezed between its shafts while the driver an emaciated creature of any age from sixteen to sixty sat shivering upon the seat striking from time to time with his whip at the flies that played about the animal's ears as though anticipating their prey banneger your honour lochre sir rowl ye over in an hour and a half is it partumna sir no my good friend replied i i stop at the hotel had i proposed to take a sail down the shannon on my portmanteau i don't think the astonishment could have been greater the bystanders and they were numerous enough by this time looked from one to the other with expressions of mingled surprise and dread and indeed had i like some sturdy knight-errant of old announced my determination to pass the night in a haunted chamber more unequivocal evidences of their admiration and fear could not have been evoked in the hotel said one he is going to stop at the hotel cried another blessed hour said a third wonders will never cease short as had been my residence in ireland it had at least taught me one lesson never to be surprised at anything i met with 
so many views of life peculiar to the land met me at every turn so many strange prejudices so many singular notions that were i to apply my previous knowledge of the world such as it was to my guidance here i should be like a man endeavouring to sound the depths of the sea with an instrument intended to ascertain the distance of a star leaving therefore to time the explanation of the mysterious astonishment around me i gathered together my baggage and left the boat the first impressions of a traveller are not uncommonly his best the finer and more distinctive features of a land require deep study and long acquaintance but the broader traits of nationality are caught in an instant or not caught at all familiarity with them destroys them and it is only at first blush that we learn to appreciate them with force who that has landed at calais at rotterdam or at leghorn has not felt this the flemish peasant with her long-eared cap and heavy sabot the dark italian basking his swarthy features in the sun are striking objects when we first look on them but days and weeks roll on the wider characteristics of human nature swallow up the smaller and more narrow features of nationality and in a short time we forget that the things which have surprised us at first are not what we have been used to from our infancy gifted with but slender powers of observation such as they were this was to me always a moment of their exercise how often in the rural districts of my own country had the air of cheery comfort and healthy contentment spoken to my heart how frequently in the manufacturing ones had the din of hammers the black smoke or the lurid flame of furnaces turned my thoughts to those great sources of our national wealth and made me look on every dark and swarthy face that passed as on one who ministered to his country's weal but now i was to view a new and very different scene scarcely had i put foot on shore when the whole population of the village thronged around me what are these thought i what art do they practise what trade do they profess alas their wan looks their tattered garments their outstretched hands and imploring voices gave the answer they were all beggars it was not as if the old the decrepit the sickly or the feeble had fallen on the charity of their fellow-men in their hour of need but here were all all the old man and the infant the husband and the wife the aged grandfather and the tottering grandchild the white locks of youth the whiter hairs of age pale pallid and sickly trembling between starvation and suspense watching with the hectic eye of fever every gesture of him on whom their momentary hope was fixed canvassing in muttered tones every step of his proceeding and hazarding a doubt upon its bearing on their own fate oh the heavens be your bed noble gentlemen look at me the lord reward you for the little sixpence that you have in your fingers there i am the mother of ten of them billy cronin your honour i am dark since i was nine years old i am the oldest man in the townland said an old fellow with a white beard and a blanket strapped round him while bursting through the crowd came a strange odd-looking figure in a huntsman's coat and cap but both were so patched and tattered it was difficult to detect their colour here's joe your honour cried he putting his hand to his mouth at the same moment tally-ho ye ho ye ho he shouted with a mellow cadence i never heard surpassed 
yow 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 he cried imitating the barking of dogs and then uttering a long low wail like the bay of a hound he shouted out hark away hark away and at the same moment pranced into the thickest of the crowd upsetting men women and children as he went the curses of some the cries of others and the laughter of nearly all ringing through the motley mass making their misery look still more frightful throwing what silver i had about me amongst them i made my way towards the hotel not alone however but heading a procession of my ragged friends who with loud praises of my liberality testified their gratitude by bearing me company arrived at the porch i took my luggage from the carrier and entered the house unlike any other hotel i had ever seen there was neither stir nor bustle no burly landlord no buxom landlady no dapper waiter with napkin on his arm no pert-looking chambermaid with a bedroom candlestick a large hall dirty and unfurnished led into a kind of bar upon whose unpainted shelves a few straggling bottles were ranged together with some pewter measures and tobacco pipes while the walls were covered with placards setting forth the regulations for the grand canal hotel with a list copious and abundant of all the good things to be found therein with the prices annexed and a pressing entreaty to the traveller should he not feel satisfied with his reception to mention it in a book kept for that purpose by the landlord i cast my eye along the bill of fare so ostentatiously put forth i read of rump steaks and roast fowls of red rounds and sirloins and i turned from the spot resolved to explore further the room opposite was large and spacious and probably destined for the coffee-room but it also was empty it had neither chair nor table and save a pictorial representation of a canal-boat drawn by some native artist with a burnt stick upon the wall it had no decoration having amused myself with a lady Kayher, such was the vessel called i again set forth on my voyage of discovery and bent my steps towards the kitchen alas my success was no better there the goodly grate before which should have stood some of that luscious fare of which i had been reading was cold and deserted in one corner it was true three sods of earth scarce lighted supported an antiquated kettle whose twisted spout was turned up with a misanthropic curl at the misery of its existence i ascended the stairs my footsteps echoed along the silent corridor but still no trace of human habitant could i see and i began to believe that even the landlord had departed with the larder at this moment the low murmur of voices caught my ear i listened and could distinctly catch the sound of persons talking together at the end of the corridor following along this i came to a door at which having knocked twice with my knuckles i waited for the invitation to enter either indisposed to admit me or not having heard my summons they did not reply so turning the handle gently i opened the door and entered the room unobserved for some minutes i profited but little by this step the apartment a small one was literally full of smoke and it was only when i had wiped the tears from my eyes three times that i at length began to recognize the objects before me seated upon two low stools beside a miserable fire of green wood that smoked not blazed upon the hearth were a man and a woman between them a small and rickety table supported a tea equipage of the humblest description and a plate of fish whose odour pronounced them red herrings of the man i could see but little as his back was turned toward me but had it been otherwise i could scarcely have withdrawn my looks from the figure of his companion 
never had my eyes fallen on an object so strange and so unearthly she was an old woman so old indeed as to have numbered nearly a hundred years her head uncovered by her cap or coif displayed a mass of white hair that hung down her back and shoulders and even partly across her face not sufficiently however to conceal two dark orbits within which her dimmed eyes faintly glimmered her nose was thin and pointed and projecting to the very mouth which drawn backwards at the angles by the tense muscles wore an expression of hideous laughter over her coarse dress of some country stuff she wore for warmth the cast-off coat of a soldier giving to her uncouth figure the semblance of an aged baboon at a village show her voice broken with coughing was a low feeble treble that seemed to issue from passages where lingering life had left scarce a trace of vitality and yet she talked on without ceasing and moved her skinny fingers among the teacups and knives upon the table with a fidgety restlessness as though in search of something there agoshla don't smoke don't now sure it is the ruin of your complexion i never see boys take to tobacco this way when i was young wished mother and don't be bothering me was the cranky reply given in a voice which strange to say was not quite unknown to me ay ay said the old crone always the same never mind in a word i say and maybe in a few years i won't be to the fore to look after you and watch you here the painful thought of leaving a world so full of its seductions and sweets seemed too much for her feelings and she began to cry her companion however appeared but little affected but puffed away at his pipe at his ease waiting with patience till the paroxysm was past there now said the old lady brightening up take away the tafe things and you may go and take a run on the common but mind you don't be pelting jack moore's goose and take care of brian sow she is as wicked as the divil now that she is boneens after her ye hear me darlin or is it sick you are ah weera weera what's the matter with you corny ma boochel corny exclaimed i forgetful of my incognito i corny neither more nor less than corny himself said that redoubted personage as rising to his legs he deposited his pipe upon the table thrust his hands into his pockets and seemed prepared to give battle oh corny said i i am delighted to find you here perhaps you can assist me i thought this was a hotel and why wouldn't you think it is a hotel hasn't it a bar and a coffee-room isn't the regulations of the house printed and stuck up on all the walls ay that's what the directors did put the price on everything as if one was going to cheat the people and signs on it look at the place now ugh the haythens the turks yes indeed corny look at the place now glad to have an opportunity to chime in with my friend's opinions well and look at it replied he bristling up and what have you to say again it isn't it the grand canal hotel yes but said i conciliatingly a hotel ought at least to have a landlord or a landlady and what do you call my mother there said he with indignant energy don't bait corny sir don't strike the child screamed the old woman in an accent of heart-rending terror sure he doesn't know what he is saying he is telling me it isn't the grand canal hotel mother shouted corny in the old lady's ears while at the same moment he burst into a fit of most discordant laughter 
by some strange sympathy the old woman joined in and i myself unable to resist the ludicrous effect of a scene which still had touched my feelings gave way also and thus we all three laughed on for several minutes suddenly recovering himself in the midst of his cachinations corney turned briskly round fixed his fiery eyes upon me and said and did you come all the way from town to laugh at my mother and me i hastened to exonerate myself from such a charge and in a few words informed him of the object of my journey whither i was going and under what painful delusion i laboured in supposing the internal arrangements of the grand canal hotel bore any relation to its imposing exterior i thought i could have dined here no you can't was the reply and ye're not fond of herons and had a bed too nor that either av ye don't like straw and as your mother nothing better than that said i pointing to the miserable plate of fish wished i tell you and don't be puttin the like in her head sometimes she hears as well as you or me here he dropped his voice to a whisper herons is so cheap that we always make her believe it's lent this is nine year now she's fasting here a fit of laughing at the success of this innocent ruse again broke from corney in which as before his mother joined then what am i to do asked i if i can get nothing to eat here is there no other house in the village no divil a one how far is it to locre fourteen miles and a bit i can get a car i suppose ay if mary doonan's boy is not gone back the old woman whose eyes were impatiently fixed upon me during this colloquy but who heard not a word of what was going forward now broke in why doesn't he pay the bill and go away divil a farthing i'll take off it sure av ye were a rale gentleman ye'd be given a fit penny bit to the gossoon there that sarved ye never mind corney dear i'll buy a bag of marbles for you at banagher fearful of once more giving way to unseasonable mirth i rushed from the room and hurried downstairs the crowd that had so lately accompanied me was now scattered each to his several home the only one who lingered near the door was the poor idiot for such he was that wore the huntsman's dress is the lokrig car gone joe said i for i remembered his name she is your honour she's away is there any means of getting over to-night barn walking there's none ay but said i were i even disposed for that i have got my luggage is it heavy said joe this portmanteau and the carpet-bag you see there i'll carry them was the brief reply you will not be able my poor fellow said i ay and you on the top of them you don't know how heavy i am said i laughingly begorra i wish you was heavier and why so joe because one that was so good to the poor is worth his weight in ghoul any day i do not pretend to say whether it was the flattery or the promise these words gave me of an agreeable companion en route but certain it is i at once closed with his proposal and with a ceremonious bow to the grand canal hotel took my departure and set out for locray end of section ninety nine this recording is in the public domain